Amen. Be seated. We are in week three of Mastermind, where we are being encouraged to allow the Word of God to remind us who we are in Christ, who God has created us to be, and what He invites us to experience through new life through His Son, Jesus. And so I invite us to pray one more time as we ask God to bless this time of looking to His Word, where we are... Ooh, is it okay? We're reminded that even in the mishaps and the mistakes of life, God is still present and good, and he reminds us that we belong to him. Would you pray with me? Holy God, we thank you that you are not a God who remains silent, but you are a God who speaks, that you have spoken through the prophets and through the apostles, and that you speak through your word, and that your spirit is present, speaking your word of God. The word of God is a word to us. And so we ask this morning that you would speak, that you would speak into our hearts, into our minds, and that through our experience of community today, that you would remind us that we are called to be yours, to belong to you, and because of that, to be forever changed, to be blessed so that we can be a blessing to others. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Mastermind is a series that we are going through. It's a four-week series on changing your thinking can change your life. Change your thinking, change your life. It's a bit of an experiment for us in that we're taking the theme from Life Church and Pastor Greg Rochelle, which is a a sister church of ours in the Covenant Church, but they've done a great job of developing digital and online resources. And as a a church that's wanting to dip our toe into the 21st century, we're, we're wanting to practice using some of these digital resources for reading the Bible and engaging scripture with one another in an electronic age. And so, uh, by creating events through the YouVersion app that was created by Life Church, uh, we can actually put our sermon notes and uh, p- Bible passages online. If you were wanted to download the YouVersion app, uh, you have to create a, an account with your email, but then you can log in and you can uh, go to the bottom right corner uh, where it says more, and they have an events listing. And what comes up is on my phone, the first one listed is Faith Covenant Church because it looks to your location. And if you click on the church, then it pulls up our current sermon series notes where you can take notes on there. You can also read the scripture passages that we have today. At the bottom, there's a reading plan from uh, YouVersion where you can go during the week, you can go deeper into studying this topic through scripture and allowing God to retrain your mind, to renew your mind through uh, the truths of God's word that overcome the lies of the enemy that we believe. Uh, The other thing that's really cool is you can share those reading plans with your friends, with your small group. And so it's just another tool that we have for going deeper in God's word together. We're in this series, we've been looking at kind of the mind and the teaching of the Apostle Paul and understanding how the reality that we now have the mind of Christ in us transforms and changes our minds to be able to not conform to the pattern of this world anymore, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds and the truth of God's word. We've been learning how most of life's battles are won or lost in the mind. Because the life that you have is a reflection of the thoughts that you think. What comes into your mind, the Bible tells us, comes out in your life. Our thoughts matter. In fact, what the Apostle Paul goes as far as to say in our, one of our key verses, which is 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5, is that our, our minds are an actual battleground between the lies of the enemy and the truths of God's word. 
In verse 3 of chapter 10 of 2 Corinthians, he says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And we talked about how a stronghold is a a fortified prison and, and that the lies that we believe, and especially the ones that the enemy, the devil, wants us to begin to believe is true, can become like a fortified prison in our life that prevents us from experiencing the life that God has invited us to live in the freedom of Christ. So what do we do then now that we have this divine power available to demolish strongholds? Well, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. See, we have divine power. We have heavenly power that God has provided through the truth of his word and through the reality of the incarnate word, Jesus Christ, who came as the word of God to show that he was with us and that he was for us and that he wasn't going to leave us lost in our sin, but he would give his life so that we could be brought back into relationship with God. And God confirmed that by raising Jesus from the dead, we now can have that same mind in our lives. We can have the spirit of Christ in our lives to make God's word a truth that renews and reshapes our own minds so that we think God's thoughts after him. We take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ, the living word. Now, we've been talking in this series, too, about the power of this brain that God has given us, right? And, and that it's really kind of cool when science finally catches up to the Bible and we begin to understand that, that your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts because physically our, our brain actually creates neural pathways based on the thoughts that we think. And the more often we think certain thoughts, the deeper those pathways are ingrained into our brain. And the easier it becomes for us to think those thoughts again and to believe those beliefs that we had so that so that over time we actually have these almost reactive we don't even have to think about it anymore we just go there automatically we react to something in life we react to something that happens to us and we our minds just go there it becomes easier and easier because of those neural pathways that are ingrained physically in our brain now that that's good news if you tend to think thoughts that are true it's not such good news if you tend to think thoughts that are not true right? If we tend to believe lies that the enemy wants us to believe. And so we said the first step is really to begin to think about what we think about. Too often, we don't even pay attention to that inner thought life anymore. Those thoughts just happen automatically, and they happen so quickly that we don't even realize that we're thinking those thoughts. And so we have to to pause long enough to become a little bit more contemplative, to become a little bit more of our own inner world and inner dialogue, to think about what we're thinking about and be able to compare that to the truth of God's word and say, is what I'm thinking, is what I'm believing actually true? Or is it a a lie from the pit of hell that prevents me from experiencing the freedom of Christ in my own life? And then we talked last week about the discipline of beginning to then retrain our minds by meditating on God's word. If we can create neural pathways in our brains by thinking the thoughts that we think, then the more we meditate on the truth of God's word, the more we're training our minds to operate according to God's truth, and the more quickly we're going to jump to the conclusion that God's truth is true in our life than the lies that we believe. 
And today I want to introduce a new idea that, that piggybacks on that, that takes us to the next level in terms of overcoming the lives we believe, and that's dealing with this issue that, that science calls cognitive bias. Cognitive bias is, it's, it's a mental filter. It's a, it's a frame through which we view life, by which we interpret the meaning of our experiences of life in this world. It impacts what we think, and therefore it impacts how we respond to life situations and to other people in our relationships. If you've reached a certain age in life, you begin to realize that your eyes no longer quite serve you the way they used to, right? And you need to reframe how you're seeing the world around you in order for it to become clear again. And, and, and the lenses that we use, the, the frames through which we view the world around us dramatically impact how we interpret what our life, the meaning of our life, and therefore how we respond and relate to the world around us. If we have frames or, or lenses that distort the truth of our lives, then we're more often to, uh, likely to have what is called a cognitive bias, a, a temptation to believe something that isn't true and to make wrong decisions and to, that are based on wrong assumptions because of these personal beliefs that we have that simply aren't true. But, but our filter, our lens, the frame through which we're looking at the world has distorted the truth, and so we believe the lie without realizing it. We are biased in a certain direction that can cause us all sorts of trouble in our lives. That's why different people can react in completely different ways to exactly the same experience, right? We all have our default filters, our default lenses that have been hardwired into our thought patterns from childhood. And often it's our most traumatic and negative experiences that have, have trained us to believe lies about ourselves and about the world that don't match up with God's truth, but somehow they've distorted our filter. And so we react to the world based on the belief that that's true, and so we react not based on the facts, but based on our filter. Example, say you're, you're in a workplace and a boss invites two employees to come in. And, and he has the same concern with each employee, right? And so he gives them the same feedback. He, he gives them the, 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 the good, the bad, and the ugly. And this is what we want to do. And this is where we want to go. One employee is completely offended, how could you even go there? Why would you even care about that? Why could you talk to me about that? This is ridiculous. I'm not going to do that. While the other employee might go, oh, thank you so much. That is really helpful input. Now I can work on that and I can improve and I can become a better employee in this job. Two very different responses to the same experience. It's not the facts that are different. It's the filter with which we interpret our experience. Two different people walk into church on the same Sunday with two different filters. One person comes in and goes, man, there's not going to be anything for me here. Christians are a bunch of hypocrites anyway. They're just trying to get their fingers into my wallet or into my purse, right? Uh, it's not very entertaining. In fact, this music isn't even very good. Why do people even come here? What do you think their experience of church is going to be that day? Probably not very good. Or another person walks in and they say, you know, I'm struggling in my life and I know that Christians are, are, are broken people who God's putting back together and they're getting together to, to encourage one another and to, to praise God that even in the midst of the hard times, God can be good and it's really not about entertainment. It's about me bringing a gift of praise and worship to God. What do you think their experience of church is going to be? Completely different. Same facts, 
totally different filter. It can even impact your relationship to God. Studies show, and we know this anecdotally, right, that our relationship with our earthly father can directly impact our perception of our relationship with our heavenly father. For those of us who are blessed with a a good dad who is loving and involved and compassionate and caring and encouraging, you might be more likely to see your heavenly father as a God who loves you and created you with with good intention and has walked with you through the good and the bad and the ugly and and cares about the intimate details of your life. As opposed to someone who maybe had an earthly father that was more distant or absent or cold or, or even abusive that person is much more likely to view their heavenly father as somebody who is a a, a divine judge up in heaven who doesn't really care about me, doesn't really see me, and, and maybe doesn't even really exist because how could God have allowed something like this to happen in my life? See, it's not the facts that are different. It's the filter. Last week, we talked about this discipline of meditating on God's truth and allowing God's truth to change our thinking as a way of engaging in the battle within our minds and and believing things that are not true in our own lives. And today, I want to talk about the idea of reframing. Reframing is really creating a different way of looking at a situation or a person or a relationship in our lives by changing the meaning of our interpretation. It's looking at life through a new set of lenses. It's, it's a new frame that allows us to understand our life and our experience differently based on the truth of God's word that he's revealed to us in the Bible. See, creating a different way of looking at something helps us to create a different interpretation of its meaning, and it allows us to respond differently that becomes more based on God's truth and God's goodness than our own brokenness and our own misunderstandings. Greg Groeschel told a a story as an example that that I, I was told after the first service should really be attributed to a Kenny Rogers song. Um, but it's like this kid who loved to play baseball, right? And, and, and he had this mindset. He said, I am the greatest batter in the history of the world. And so he went out in his yard and he had his ball and his bat and he threw the ball up and he swung at the ball and he missed it. And he goes, ah, well, everybody misses one. That's okay. I am still the greatest batter that ever lived. So he picked up the ball and he threw it in the air and he swung in and he missed it. And undeterred, he said, I don't care. I am still the greatest batter in the history of the world. He picked up the ball, swung at it, he missed it again. He goes, wow, I didn't realize I'm also the greatest pitcher in the history of the world. (laughs) I just struck out the greatest batter in the history of the world. Reframing (laughs) our interpretation of our experience of life in this world. See, reframing is simply changing the way we look at something in a way that allows us to understand the meaning differently. It's thinking differently based on how God's word renews our mind to see the truth of the life in this world that we live in. What kind of day are we going to have today? Oh, it's going to be a great day. It'll be an average day. It's going to be a terrible day. How you answer that question might be determined on how you frame it, right? The lens through which you look impacts your interpretation of the meaning. You can't control what happens to you, but you can control how you frame it. If there was anyone good at reframing, it was the Apostle Paul. 
He had a very strategic plan for his mission and ministry that God had called him to do. His dream and his prayer was that God would send him to the capital of the, the Rome as the capital of the known world and that he would preach the gospel to the leaders of the world and, and that through over, uh, winning over Rome that the gospel would go to the farthest reaches of the world and, 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 the, and the good news would spread to everyone. Paul did get to Rome, right? But he went as a prisoner, right? He was arrested and thrown in jail, and he was put on daily guard watch. And in fact, he was chained to Roman guards who, who would sit there, and every eight hours, they would switch out who the guard was that was chained to him. And, and, and some of us are in the same kind of situation as Paul was today. What he wanted to happen didn't happen. So how did he frame the situation? You know, some of us right now, maybe we worked really hard to, to get a, an advanced degree in school and we thought we were on this one career path, but, but that didn't work out. And now we're, in a, we're overqualified for a low-income job that we're working and we're just trying to make ends meet. And it's not what we wanted. It's not what we planned for. How are we going to frame that? Some of us honored God in our dating life and in our relationships with the opposite sex, and we pursued righteousness and holiness, and we married our sweetheart only to find out that the whole relationship crashed and burned and ended in divorce. That's not what we wanted. It's not what we planned for. How do you frame that? Some of us have reached a point in our life where we're beyond hope that we're ever going to achieve those dreams that we had when we were younger. We thought life was going to be so different, and now we find ourselves at an age and a stage of life where we're just having to kind of figure out how do we make the best of what time we have left. How are you going to frame that? You see, this is where Paul was. He dreamed of going to Rome to preach the gospel and win the world for Christ, and he ends up chained to a, a, a Roman soldier. What kind, of, what kind of day are you going to have? What determines what's going to happen to you can often be determined by how you choose to frame it. Now, now let's think about it for a minute before we jump to, to what Paul actually said. What, what could Paul could have said? Right? Paul could have said, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that, that what has happened to me really stinks. God completely let me down. We had this plan we had it all arranged. I told God exactly what I wanted, and I knew that he had called me, and, and he, he totally betrayed me. And, and now, you know what? I'm just going to give up on this whole missionary thing. In fact, I'm just not ever going to go back to church again. He could have said that, right? But what did Paul actually say? In Philippians 1, 12 to 13, he says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel, served to advance the good news of Jesus Christ. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Who do you think Paul thought the prisoner was? Right? Here I am, chained to an influential Roman soldier who, who has power and influence in this capital city of Rome, part of the Praetorian Guard, and I have a captive audience for eight hours a day, and every eight hours I get a new one to talk to. Who do you think the real prisoner was? Right? He, he, he took a negative, oh, Paul, that's terrible, awful, that's a no good, very bad day. 
And he said, what, 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 what the world might mean for, for my bad, God meant for my good, and it's an opportunity for me to spread the gospel. And it wasn't just to the Roman guards. He goes on to say in verse 14, because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. His testimony, how he framed his imprisonment, how he understood where God was at work in one of the worst places of his life to, to make the gospel the priority and to bring the good out of his pain and his suffering encouraged all the other believers to have more uh, ability to go out and share their testimony with other people as well. Because even their difficult circumstances, God could use to make them a blessing to others. A lot of people would say, Paul, that, that's awful. That's terrible. But, but when he says, when I look at the situation through my God frame, I see that, that even though what looks bad to you, I know that my God is still with me. I know that my God is still working through the circumstances of my life. I know that God is still active and that God can bring good things out of the, the bad things that I'm experiencing so that I can be blessed and be a blessing to other people. You can't control what happens to you in your life, but you can control how you frame it. God used my chains, Paul says, to embolden the family of God. How can we live this out in our lives? How can we live this out and experience this in our lives when our own thoughts tend to go towards the negative? When we tend to more often be critically minded and negative towards one another and judgmental towards the people around us and, and thinking self-defeating behaviors and believing lies about ourselves that simply aren't true but prevent us from experiencing God's freedom in our lives. I'd like to suggest that adding to thinking about what we think about and meditating on the truths of God's word, we can begin to reframe our thinking based on those things in three ways. Number one, when things are going bad, when you're having a no good, awful, terrible, very bad day, thank God for what didn't happen. Thank God for what didn't happen. Craig Rochelle also told the story about a girl who went off to college and came home her sophomore year, told her parents that she had met a guy at a bar and they hooked up and she got pregnant with twins. His probation would be over in a year and he'd start looking for a job once he was off probation. They were considering getting married, but uh, without him having a job, they didn't feel like the timing was right. So they were going to decide just to live together and try and raise this kid the best they could. And someday if he ever got on his feet, they would get married. Her parents' jaws were on the floor. They were completely shocked. And she goes, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's not exactly true. I got a D on my chemistry exam, and I wanted you to know that it could have been a lot worse. <laughs> Reframing. Thank God for the things that didn't happen. You have a car wreck, a fender bender, you're late for work, it's going to be expensive, you know your deductible's higher than you want it to be. Hey, at least no one was killed, right? At least no one was hurt. Thank God for what didn't happen. You're traveling and your flight's delayed and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be stuck in this airport. This is going to be terrible and awful and I don't want to experience this. God, how could you let this happen? And, and, and they come through the announcement that there's a problem with the plane. Wouldn't you rather be down here? If there's a problem with the plane, <laughs> thank God for what didn't happen. 
See, when we, when we begin to think about the things that didn't happen and to thank God for those things, we're, we're practicing reframing our perspective on, on life in this world. We often focus on the things that we should have or that we want or that we feel like we deserve, and we begin to grumble and complain about the life that we didn't get while we miss the whole point of uh, the many blessings that God has given us, and, and we can thank God for the things that didn't happen. So the second thing we can do is we can actually begin to practice pre-framing based on the truth of God's word that we have been taught and that we've learned and that we've meditated on, that we've become to believe is true. We can begin to pre-frame the events of our lives and we can choose the filter by which we're going to interpret the experiences that we have. See, your filters, your frames, the, the, the lenses that you use determine how you see the world, and that determines how you will feel and react to the experiences you have and the people around you, and that will lead to what you choose to do in response. So how you behave in the world comes all out of how you interpret and you think about your experience of life in this world. We can begin to choose the frame from God's perspective before the event even happens. Instead of getting there and allowing our default filter to kick in and take over and just react to the situation or to react to the person next to us, which is often negative, critical, and judgmental, right? Ahead of time, we can begin to look at the Word of God and choose the lens and choose the frame that we're going to bring to the table. Now, as we've gone through this series, I've shared with you that one of the, the biggest challenges I've had in my life with the lies that we believe is that, that I believe going back early on in childhood that I should be perfect, right? And that, and that somehow I knew I never could be perfect. Therefore, the lie that I believed is that I would never be good enough. I would never be able to accomplish enough to make it okay, and so that leads to reactive behavior on my part, right? I became a really good pro procrastinator. <laughs> I became an escape artist. I would avoid opportunities to succeed because I knew I was going to fail anyway. And so I, I, if you think about it, I wasn't a very good student in my younger years, right? I didn't have the, the drive and the discipline to follow through on the kind of rigor that it takes to be academically successful because I knew I was going to fail anyway. In the process, I became the king of the all-nighter. I was really good at procrastinating and waiting till the end of the semester or till the night before the test and then staying up all night, cramming through and then taking the test or turning in the paper. And, and, and I'd get, you know, B's or C's and, and, and I would know that I was a failure, Right? Until later in life, kind of a couple years into seminary, I, I took the time and got into counseling, and I started talking it through with my counselor, and he said, no, wait a minute, walk me through this a little bit. You don't study much all semester. You wait till the last minute, you, you stay up all night writing a paper or studying for a test, and you go and take and you get a B or a C? Yeah. How many people do you think can do that? Well, I don't know. Well, not many. And I began to reframe my understanding that, yes, I wasn't putting in all the time and energy that, that, that I, I needed to, but if I could get a B or a C without doing much effort until the very end, maybe I could do more than I was giving myself credit for. Maybe it wasn't just about the performance, but maybe it was learning about who I was created to be in God. And so I began to, to learn a rhythm and a pattern based on who God had created me to be that worked better for my life. So, so I, I, rather than going to school full-time, I went to school part-time. 
because that was the workload of academics that I could take. And I, and I wanted to have my hands dirty in ministry. And so I took a part-time job in a church and I worked in ministry while I also studied in school. And I found a life and a rhythm that, that was based on God's good word for my life. And you know what? The last few years of seminary, I got straight A's. I was perfect. But you see, because at that point, it wasn't about the performance. It wasn't about getting a grade in order to make myself valuable in my parents' eyes or in my friends' eyes or in my professor's eyes. It was about the freedom to live into the life that God had given me to live. I was able to reframe my reaction to the world around me and live into life based on who God had created me to be. And that leads us to the third point, is that we can look for and find God's goodness in the world. We can look for and we can find God's goodness in the world. If you want to see the bad things of this world, if you want to see the negative, if you want to think all of life is about challenges, you'll find that. That'll be your experience of life. But the Bible tells us that we can also begin to see through a new lens and a new frame that even though this world has fallen and it's broken and life can be difficult, we can see the good and the positive and we can see that God is still alive and active and working towards his peace and his shalom in our lives and in all of creation. See, if you look for the good in the world, you'll find it. If you want to see the good in other people, you'll find it. If you want to look for where God is working in the world, you will see him working and it'll change your attitude and it'll change your relationships around you. It'll change your perspective on your experiences of life in this world because you'll find what you're looking for. See, our invitation I'd like to suggest to us this morning is to allow Jesus to help determine the meaning of our lives. When we allow Jesus to help us reframe our interpretation of our experience of life in this world, we find that what he says is true, that we have a heavenly father that loves us, that we have a heavenly father that has not abandoned us, that we have a heavenly father that has given us all things to bring us back to himself so we could experience an abundant and a fruitful life. In Luke eleven nine, 9, Jesus said, so I say to you, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. Let Jesus help you determine the meaning of your life. Some of us this morning might be feeling like we're having the worst day ever. You might be in a, in a dark and a difficult place this morning. We know that, that in our own church in, the, in recent weeks, we, we, we've lost a couple dear, beloved friends. Doc Weber passed away and Doug Armstrong just a couple weeks ago. And, and, and man, Doug Armstrong going through you know, years of brain cancer and, and Doc Weber as well with lung cancer. I mean, that's a pretty bad day. I thank God for what hasn't happened in my life. And yet we could focus on the tragedy and the negativity and, and think how awful this is that happened to these loved friends. But if you were able to be at the memorial services, you would have heard the testimony of their friends and their family that saw their faith deepen and grow through some of the darkest and most difficult circumstances in their life so that they have now left a legacy of good news and a faith in Jesus Christ. See, here's the problem. So many of us see the bad because we look only for the bad. 
Why do we make the mistake in our minds? It's because we, we often try to interpret God through the circumstances of our lives. This is bad, therefore God is bad. This didn't go my way, therefore God isn't going my way. This isn't what I expected or wanted, therefore God isn't really helping me or working for, for my, my, my good. But, but the Bible's telling us there's another way to look at the world. There's another frame through which we can interpret our understanding of the experiences we have in our life. Then when we begin to realize that Jesus said, if you look for the God's goodness in, your, in, in the world, you'll find it. If you knock on the door of, of God's love and his spirit, he will show it to you. We we can begin to recognize that even on that no good, very bad, worst day ever, that God is still good. That he is still involved in your life and he cares about what you're going through and he's walking through it with you and he's crying the tears that you cry and he's feeling the pain that you feel. He hasn't left you alone in it. He's walking through it with you so you can come out of it on the other side. He will never leave you or forsake you. Even in the dark times, even if you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you need fear no evil because your God is with you. Even when we're waiting and we're calling out to him and we're wondering why he's turned his face away from us and we can't see him, we can still praise him and trust that even though we don't feel it, we know he's there because we've seen him prove himself faithful generation after generation after generation as you read the story and the history of God's people and we hear the testimony of our beloved friends who have gone before us and the cloud of witnesses that are cheering us on to keep our faith strong in the God who is with us and knows us better than we know ourselves. Amen? We can praise him in the darkest hour because no matter what our circumstances, the, the, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. There is no height that you can go to. There is no depth that you can sink to. There is no power on earth, whether angel or demon. There is no one, no creature in all creation can ever separate you from the love of God. Is that a frame to live by? And we know, and we know, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. You cannot control what happens to you, but you can control how you frame it. Maybe this is a moment of deep darkness for you, and your invitation this morning is to begin to allow Jesus to give you a new frame to interpret your circumstances. That maybe, just maybe, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Maybe, just maybe, there is a pathway that Jesus can lead you down that will lead to renewed hope, that will lead you out of the pain and out of the darkness so that you can experience God's light and his love in your heart in a new way in this day, in this season of life, and that as a result of that, you can become a blessing to someone else and help them to begin to reframe the experience of their life as well. If that's you, and that's me today, I confess, I invite you to pray with me and invite the Holy Spirit to renew our minds again today. Holy God, we thank you that you've given us your word, the living word that is active and sharper than any two-edged sword that cuts to the core of the truth of our lives. 
We ask that that truth would, would, would cut to the core of the lies that we have believed and begin to renew our minds to give us a better frame with which to interpret our lives and our experience in this world. Give us a better filter in which we can respond in healthier and more true ways according to your goodness and your love in our lives so that we can be a blessing to the world around us. Help us to not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds and to not let our circumstances determine the meaning of our lives, but to let Jesus help us today to interpret the meaning of our lives. Jesus, come. Holy Spirit, come. Renew us. Refresh us. Wash us clean. And give us a new frame to understand who you are and who we are in you. We pray this in Jesus' name.